Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld and you are listening to another edition of Observations. What is a Observation? Observations is all about comic books. It's all about pop culture. It's all about movies, television, cartoons, and comic books and toys and how they all kind of mix together to make the world we live in now. It's told from my perspective uh, when I pulled off my first comic book, fell in love with comics in 1975. Never looked back. Fortunate to make a career out of it. Now I talk about it in addition to making a career out of it because I'm never going to not draw comics. You, I will die with a pencil in my hand, hopefully, uh, continuing to do what I love because this is... Uh, so much more than a vocation. It really is a passion of mine. Comic books surround me. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pretty uh, uh, disciplined in that the comics don't spill outside the uh, existing uh, existing negotiation negotiated rooms in my home. I don't know about you, but you know uh, cer- certain certain rooms cannot have the reflection of the comic books. My wife and my family have been too good to me, but there are my certain spaces where I can just explode with the comic books. And like after today, today's podcast, I've already, I already know, I'm going to go get all my treasury edition, my giant, I, I've talked about them uh, at length in past episodes, the treasury editions of my youth that were really uh, coming out from 1974 to like 1981, big supersize, 11 by, gosh, what are they? I mean, are they 12 by 15 uh, size comic books. They're spectacular. They're big. Uh, first, I'm going to pull all the holiday ones because there's a number of holiday ones over the years. Put those out, and then I'm just going to go through the other ones and hopefully get some inspiration and uh, relive some great stories. So, so comic books again. That's that's just just part of who I am every single day. But we have been uh, discussing the the uh, DC Comics in in the last episode, and we called it the DC Dilemma because that was the nicest possible way I could put it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna you know stay nice and just give my thoughts on all the things that have occurred over the last 15 years that set DC Comics on its current path. Which, as we've you know discussed in in, in recent episodes, the 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 company is very much the focus of a ton of controversy, of rumor, of innuendo. Uh, it, it seems like every day somebody is saying something outrageous in order to get uh, the, the the clickbait. We're not going to do that. I, I am coming to you from my experience uh, as a comic book professional for 34 years, soon to be 35 years. And all of that I have seen, all that I have absorbed, I have been a writer of comics, an illustrator of comics, a publisher of comics. Uh, I, I have worked freelance. I have self-published. Uh, I have been a contracted player. Uh I have had my my own comics optioned for films, video games. Uh, I've seen my characters uh, make millions in royalties in 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 terms of action figures and statues and uh, and 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 cartoons and films. So th- there really isn't a part of the business that I have not interacted with, and and so much of it happened for me early on in my career. That first 10 years of my career, I feel like I had literally encountered every aspect of the business uh, because I was able to uh, really achieve a lot in at an early age. The reason I'm bringing that up, again, is in this DC Comics lens. 
I am going to give you my perspective as I experienced it, uh, you know, when I signed on for my own personal interactions uh, with DC Comics, which I did from uh, 20, it, it really started at the end of 2010 and it and it went through uh, the August of 2012 is when I just kind of decided I can't deal with this anymore. And what I mean by I can't deal with this anymore is at that point in my career, uh, 24 years in, I had never seen anything like the about the, the two years that I had seen. And I kept saying, okay, this is the new normal. This is how it is. Even though I knew it wasn't that way anywhere else other than this insane asylum that, that was being run, uh, which which was the, the launch. These are the two years that launched the new 52. And so today I'm going to give you my true 52 and tell you how the experience, that what I was experiencing at that time uh, as they were putting together their comics, and you'll see uh, over the four titles that I worked on, that 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 this was um, a in the multiple editors, that this was a broader uh, issue that 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 was carrying throughout uh, throughout their books. That, that this is wasn't just a Rob Liefeld scenario. This carries over their entire line. I believe it's indicative of how. Uh, the comic books would continue to evolve over the de that decade. It speaks to uh, the, the 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 guy who was calling all the shots. He, I know he was a co-publisher, but I think everyone would agree he was the guy in charge. Uh, the, the 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 other co-publisher, my my former partner in Image Comics, Jim Lee. It it always has rung to everyone that he was he had a title, but he didn't. Um, was not interested in pursuing the power of that title. And uh, I can give you my theories. Uh, hopefully I won't forget to. Uh, that, that, that Dan DiDio, who held the publisher title and was the most aggressive in this way and in this capacity, he was the one making the lion's share of decisions and was the one who really felt like his vision was being enacted on this broad sense. It was, again, I, I've been around. I've been around. I've been, I've encountered a lot of folks, and I have never, ever uh, experienced anything like that time. And part of it was also like, what's going to happen today? There was a, there's, a, there's a period, especially after I share with you guys how what happens early on, that you go, this is, like, it was literally, you know, hold on tight. This is going to be a bumpy ride. This... You know, this was white water rafting down the rapids with DC Comics. It was crazy. Um, we, we've covered that for years, Paul Levitz, and, and, and one of the other things that he expressed to me, besides his, his famous, um, very rehearsed bit about being the best number two there is. Why would you want to be number one? Once you're number one, you're, you're somebody's target. You've got to explain why you're not number one the next time out. Being number two, being solid number two, always being number two has tremendous advantages. Well, over the period of my career, when Warner Brothers purchased uh, DC Comics, then it became about how do you, because at that point you're a division of a larger company, because AT&T buying Warner Brothers really didn't position DC Comics that much differently than when it was when it was bought by Warner Brothers. Uh, 20 years prior to that, decades earlier. You're, you're then part of a division, okay? Warner Brothers has a lot of holdings. They have networks. They have a film division. They have cartoons, okay? I mean, you've heard of the WB. 
which eventually, you know, uh, the CW, all these things morph and they, and they change and, and they have all sorts of, it's, 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 it's multi-pronged octopuses. Okay. Multi-pronged octopi. Every arm is going somewhere else in a division. So by the time AT&T takes over Warner's, uh, Warner, which, which AT&T takes over Warner's, which owns DC, which is why we're even discussing this is, uh, DC is now just another division that needs to be justified and explained. And one of the things that Paul Levitz said to me is he loved being, uh, he loved flying under the radar because then he never had to explain how things worked. I think he had just gotten to the point where he showed them there. He made sure that the division was profitable and he would show them the profits and hopefully have them leave them alone because publishing was like algebra to these movie executives or, you know, the highest form of geometry and as long as somebody was there to uh to 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 you know make the machine work they were content to just get the dividends the difference between Dan DiDio and Paul Levitz is Dan DiDio decided when he got uh the top slot and whenever he made his best argument for the 52 in 2010 it was because there's two ways of, of thinking. About it. Paul Levitz is like, I don't want to explain. I don't want to be called in the car, but I want to fly under the radar. I don't want the publishing division to be scrutinized. That was part of his shtick that he told everybody. He didn't want the publishing division to be scrutinized. He wanted to kind of, and that way he could protect everybody. Because, you know, he had an umbrella. It was a larger, I don't know Paul well enough uh, to, 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 to go into any of what this was this sincere or not sincere? I'm telling you, the ju the justification was I've got to protect the label. I've got to protect what we do here. And as long as we fly under the radar, I can keep things going. Now, Paul was very generous. I remember catching a flight home with Len Wein, the late, great, fantastic Len Wein. He of Wolverine. He of the new X-Men. Um, Len, Len is one of the, was one of the most beloved, friendly, prolific, uh, artist editors, creators that the comic business ever seen has ever seen. Uh, he, he came up in a, in an era of writer editors where you could literally be your own editor. Marv Wolfman had that title. Jerry Conway had that title. He came up in the seventies where there was a lot of anything goes throw a lot of it against the, 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 the wall, see what sticks that, that he was really forged in the fires. He would go on to edit Watchmen, you know, that Alan Moore would, you know, be, be, become acclaimed from. I mean, while Swamp Thing was buzzed about, it was Watchmen edited by Len Wein that became so acclaimed. Len is also co-creator of Swamp Thing. Wolverine and Swamp Thing, not a, not a bad resume and everything in between. But the reason I'm telling you about this is as we were boarding the plane, flying home from Baltimore in 2010, Len told me that Paul Levitz always took care of him and made sure that he got a handsome uh, uh, sum, a, a, a generous payout for Lucius Fox, which I believe is the name of the Morgan Freeman character in the Christopher Nolan Batman films. And so uh, at least Batman begins. Um, anyway, those, uh, those the, the, again, I am flying, you know, by, by memory right now. Morgan Freeman's character, that character, and he said to me, Rob, I've made more from Lucius Fox than I have made 
from so many of these other characters. And so he attributed that to Paul. He immediately invoked Paul's name. This is not the first time Marv Wolfman, many of the others would invoke the same. Paul had a group of guys and they were all, um, you know, uh, what, what shouldn't surprise you is they all came up together. Paul Levitz was, those were the boys in his crew. I'm not saying he was only loyal to them, but the, he was he took care of a lot of people. So, but the, the guys in his crew, you know, saw Paul as a very uh, a, a very good influence and a, and, a, and, a, and a positive force for them. So, Paul, his entire I got to protect the company and make make sure nobody really understands what's going on down here, so I can just run my publishing division, post a profit, hand that in, and be left alone. That was very much how he operated. Dan DiDio, on the other hand decided I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell them about this really, um, you know, very detailed, very complicated machine called DC Comics Publishing. And I am going to sell them on it that I am the only guy that knows how to run this. I am the only guy that knows how it all fits together. Distribution, publication, character management. Dan decided, I'm not going to do the Paul thing. I'm not going to shy from the spotlight. I'm going to ask for the spotlight. And by asking for the spotlight, I'm going to paint myself as the expert. This is how Dan survived so many, let's call them kerfluffles. That's the nicest way we're going to put it. Yes, I'm 53 years old and I just said kerfluffle. This is how he survived all the kerfluffles is he always convinced management, look, I know how to make the secret ingredients and mix them together and nobody does it better than me and nobody ever will. And until someone made a more compelling argument, because Dan is great in a room. He's got his big voice. It's Dan DiDio. You guys saw him on all of his panels. And now he, you know, he had snappy patter. He loved being the spokesperson. He loved being the spokesperson for DC Comics. He did panels and public presentations and interviews. He did those very well. Now, behind the scenes, he had become a bit of a raving lunatic. Rob, that's so harsh. How, how do you know this? Oh, I know this. I encountered this. I'm going to uncover how this all comes to play. And I believe the insanity that I will share with you is nowhere near the level of insanity that, that I am probably on the lower B level of stuff like this. But it all starts when I'm doing Hawk and Dove number five. No, number four, between four and five. So that's the November and December shipping comics. And I get the call. Uh, uh, you know, the New 52 is probably four four months old. Uh, so, so, so the September, the October, the November, the December books are shipping. Okay, so yeah, I'm drawing, sorry. I'm drawing the January and the February issues of Hawk and Dove. And I get the call. And it's seven in the morning because they know I, I'm early. So it's 10 their time. This is, DC is still based in New York. They have not made the big transition to Burbank yet. The uh, so, so I get the call from the East Coast. It's Dan. He he tells me that Bob Harris, my former editor in, uh, editor and then editor-in-chief, editor I worked with Bob on New Mutants Dex Force. We, we, we turned that franchise around. He is the one who opened the door for me, gave me the opportunity to give you Cable and Deadpool and Strife and Shatterstar and all of those in Domino. Uh, 5 million copies of X-Force. This is the shared success we had. This was a huge... He picked me from Hawk and Dove and said, again, let the bucking bronco 
you know, like 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 Todd would say, let the let the Bronco buck. He let me buck, and and we did it spectacularly with great results. We then worked together on Heroes Reborn. That was a difficult situation. Marvel was in bankruptcy. Um, th th there was there was limitations. There was expect expectations. He himself had several bosses. Bottom line, Bob and I had done tons of business together. We had a great mutual respect. I always felt it from him. He was just uh, really uh, somebody I was very fond of. So I was happy to hear that he was on the other line. He was now the editor-in-chief of DC Comics when I received this phone call. And Dan said, hey, Rob, we're, uh, we're thinking about... Thinking about uh, giving you some opportunities. I said, yeah, shoot, what's going on? He says, uh, you're the action-adventure guy. You're the action-adventure guy, and uh, I think you, you'd be great on a couple of these, you know, these action-adventure titles that we have. So what would you, uh, what would you think of uh, Deathstroke, uh, Grifter, and Hawkman? And I go, what would I think about them? Yeah, you're taking them over. You know, maybe you draw one of them, but... but you, you, you do story, you, you, you plot them, you, you know, whatever you want. T tell me how that works. I said, Grifter, Deathstroke, and Hawkman. Okay, well, that's cool. He's like, uh, love to hear what you have to say. Love to hear your uh, your takes on these books. And Bob's like, Rob, I think these guys would be right, right up your alley. And, 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 and Dan goes, just, uh, you know, so, 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 so send us some, send us some, send us a, send us a pitch. Tell us what you do. And I said, okay. And he goes, yeah, let's, let's talk again in a few days. I said, okay, whatever. And uh, the future of Hawk and Dove was not uh, on the table at that time. Uh, it had survived the first purge. The New 52 has already been purged. They've already called the lowest selling books. Several of the lowest selling books have already been sent out to pasture. And in the talk in the business is, oh my gosh, you know, what's next? And they had announced replacement books for those. Like, like let's say... You know, OMAC was canceled. They were going to launch a Supergirl comic. Like, they had already announced, like, we're still going to have 52 books. It's not going to... It's never, at this period, not going to be 52 comics because we've got the whole branding of the new 52. But uh, Hawk and Dove had not been culled and purged yet. So, anyway, I went about to thinking because I happen to love Hawkman. I happen to love Deathstroke. And Grifter was the one I was like, eh, this is, I'm not sure that this totally interests me, but that's probably the reason I should try and take it on. And uh, because to see if I could, I could do something with it. I could make it juicy. I could, I could, you know, maybe draw some interest because sales on Hawkman and on Deathstroke and on Grifter, they did tell me were not where they thought they could be. And they wanted to stabilize them, turn them around. So they were turning to me. It was very generous three books. It was very unexpected. And I said about the next afternoon, that afternoon, I was thinking about what I would do. Well, I had been following the Deathstroke comic and I had uh, uh, been very impressed by the artist, Joe Bennett, who is one of the best to, to do it the last 25 years. Easy. Joe Bennett is a master illustrator and a great storyteller. And the book looked really nice. The book, uh, Deathstroke looked, looked really nice. But the thing that, as I looked through it, Deathstroke with a full face mask was battling this Annihilist looking guy. Uh, clearly, Annihilist was the inspiration. Marvel's Annihilus from the negative, negative zone was kind of the inspiration for this guy's visual. I forget his name. It doesn't matter. But it was like a completely masked guy against a completely masked guy. And I'm of the opinion that you can, you can kind of push one masked guy through at a time. 
But like Spider-Man, now you go, well, Mysterio had a mask and Spider-Man had a mask. Yes, that's true. But Green Goblin had a face, Doc Ock had a face, Vulture had a face, Kingpin had a face, Craven had a face. Um, Spider-Man versus Venom is interesting because you're still getting expressions from Venom. The wide eyes, the crazy tongue, the, the giant mouth that, that, that can seemingly open for a mile. But you get, my, you get my point here about, I mean, Sandman with Spider-Man had a face. You know, you got a full face mask guy and everyone else he, he fights uh, at least has expressions and, and the ability to bring expressions. And I had, I had, this was my kind of rough assessment when I was looking at Deathstroke. And the bottom line was Deathstroke, who, uh, you know, I always really admired. And I got to be honest, Deathstroke, for me, going back and studying him at this time, Older guy, uh, you know, kind of a, a soldier of fortune. I really did wonder if, if he was a bigger influence on Cable than I had anticipated. Now, of course, I've heard that Deathstroke was somewhat... Uh, I've heard the myths that have become pervasive on the internet that somehow Deathstroke was an inspiration for Deadpool. And I just go, have you not read Deathstroke's origin story like I did when he was coming out in the Titans? And I can do this really quick. He's a super soldier uh, during somewhere between the Korean War and the Vietnam War in, the, in his original origin the, by George Perez and Marv Wolfman. And he subjects himself to a super soldier uh, uh, program much the same way that Captain America did. And then he comes out as a super soldier. And if you cover Deathstroke's face, especially during this time, uh, you've got chain mail, uh, buccaneer gloves, buccaneer boots. If he is literally Captain America like a compromised Captain America. He's literally like Winter Soldier before Winter Soldier. He's a he's a dark, dark super soldier. You know, he's a, he's a super soldier gone dark and he starts taking money for hot, you know, becomes this soldier of fortune mercenary in this very uh, no-nonsense, gritty uh, 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 nemesis for the Titans. And then because they... Uh, have a hand in, in from his mind in killing his son when he's first in, in, introduced he then becomes it becomes very personal between him and the titans but slade uh wilson was a very i mean he's got a patch over his one eye which is also reflected in the mask which is a half mask half of it's blacked out the other one has less has the eye but to anybody if i grab my captain america action figure and i grab my deathstroke action figure and i covered up their faces I mean, one is red, white, and blue, and one is blue and orange, and they're both chainmail. Chainmail is very distinct to Captain America. The buccaneer gloves, the buccaneer boots were very distinct. Deathstroke was always kind of a dark, super soldier Captain America guy. And so, uh, you know, um, I, I didn't see him so much as an experimentation, even though Steve Rogers was an experiment, but they're like these clean experiments. They, they, weren't, they weren't physically, you know, compromised. It didn't change, like Wolverine got claws that popped out uh, prior to the reboot of his origin that happened in the early 2000s. As a kid, you know, he had these claws that popped out and sometimes he would bleed from the, from, from, from the first initial snicked of the claws coming out. Then with Deadpool, it was like, well, they didn't, you know, Deadpool was uh, introduced when I negotiated, could he be one of the guys that was experimented on before Wolverine? Like, and uh, he's the Danny DeVito to Wolverine's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Twins was a huge part of the pitch. But, and, and hence, Deadpool is physically looks like 
you know, poop. Um, so, so the thing is that, that with, uh, with my good friend, um, Deathstroke, uh, the, 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 the thing is that he is a completely, um, and, and, and totally, uh, uh, badass kind of a grizzled older guy. And I was like, I, I would like, I've always been a Deathstroke fan. I would love to, to actually write and draw Deathstroke. So what I did when they called me back and, and Hawkman was probably the biggest, um, uh, the the most appealing of all of, of of the possibilities that I had. He was the the absolute most appealing in regards to the, the, this. This would be fun to take on Hawkman, but I didn't want to lose Joe Bennett, who had been drawing Deathstroke. So I asked if we could transfer Deathstroke to Hawkman, and because Hawkman wasn't didn't have a regular artist at the time, and so much of it was key on the fact that they would let me uh, continue. So Joe Bennett isn't out of work. Joe Bennett is um, is is completely then going from Deathstroke to Hawkman, and I am going to gear it to be the most dynamic, amazing Hawkman story ever. And and really, um, I, I hate to say you know have Hawkman take flight, but have Hawkman take flight, okay? Really, really, really set him up to where this is a really fun opportunity, and we can make Hawkman bigger and better. Deathstroke, I knew I could deliver the goods. I knew I could deliver the goods. I knew that I could uh, make this sing as long as they approve my storyline. The storyline that I pitched and I said, look, you guys haven't introduced Lobo into the DC New 52 yet. Uh, what, what Deathstroke needs is an opponent that is much more dangerous than he is and escalate the consequences. So Lobo has been unleashed. He has been... Uh, you know, held miles under the earth in a government compound because we captured him years ago, but he has escaped and the government uh, hires uh, Slade to take down Lobo in this giant uh, four-issue uh, storyline called the Lobo Hunt, which will, uh, you know, pit our great hunter, um, Deathstroke, this great bounty hunter, against the most dangerous bounty of his entire career. Well, they totally dug that. DiDio and Bob Harris were like, great, let's do that. Um, with Hawkman, I said, I'm going to introduce a bunch of new villains. I'm going to make the nth metal exactly what you're seeing right now on The Mandalorian, the Beskar, that everybody wants it. Everybody wants to get their hands on it. There's a whole litany of villains that will stop at nothing to obtain it. And, uh, and then finally with Grifter, I said... I'm going to kind of get into his origin story and peel back the layers and see how he came to be who he is. This is, uh, it's, it's got some Jason Bourne overtures. It's years before John Wick. Um, but, but he, so, so the, the, the outlines for each of the th series were, you know, laid bare. I gave my pitch. I said, this is what I would do. They said, you'll do all the covers. I said, great. Um, they, again, they just emphasize that you're an action-adventure guy with Cable and Deadpool and everything you've done. That, that's kind of where you've made your mark. And I said, yeah, no, this is this is fun. And again, the, 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 when they told me that I was going to get to work with Joe Bennett on Hawkman, that was the most exciting part because I was really going to try and write to all of his strengths and get Hawkman, um, you know, in a direction that maybe the, 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 the fans could really dig. DC themselves could not decide which origin, which approach they wanted to make 
as far as Hawkman? Was there, were they going to go ancient pyramids, Egyptian god, that mythology, or were they going to go with this uh, otherworldly, more sci-fi direction, Thanagar? I really wanted to go Thanagar. I pitched for Thanagar, and that is the that is the direction that we ended up going in 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 my in my uh, my Hawkman, and 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 man. It was, I just, those, those memories of crafting those stories for Joe Bennett were fantastic. On Grifter, we needed a new artist. Um, I, I asked for Scott Clark, who is ridiculously talented. Um, he came on board the book. Uh, I thought we were instantly getting an upgrade across all the books. The upgrade on Deathstroke was in the consequence of the, of, of, of the conflict and with this giant, you know, bounty hunter versus giant dangerous alien bounty. So there's there's the parameters. Uh, they go, Rob, we're doing this. We're going to do this. We're going to go forward. Okay. So I, as I understand it, with the May issues, the the number nines, I'm taking over Grifter, Deathstroke, and I am taking over Hawkman, all with the ninth issues. Okay, great. So, uh, you know, we, we, we start to get underway. I'm starting to craft these stories, and the phone rings. Because so far, what, what 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 do I have to be upset about? This is like easy as, as can be, right? I mean, I, I made my pitches. I didn't have to alter any of the pitches. They were on board with all the directions and the new characters. Uh, in in Grifter and in and in uh, Hawkman, I was I was giving them a ton of new characters. In Hawkman, I was giving them a guy named Xerxes. I love the historical connotation of the name Xerxes. You you know that character first and foremost from uh, the 300 films and the fact that he absolutely did walk across the earth conquering it and he had a, you know, even equally dangerous son. Um, so, so Xerxes, great name, got the X's in there, sounds like Z's. Um, the pronunciation, the, the 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 name looks great. The pronunciation's great, and and so I went all in on this new big bad named Xerxes who would be pitted against uh, Hawkman, and uh, and so so on both books uh, I would write and do all the script on Deathstroke on Grifter. We got Frank Thierry, super talented guy, great ear uh, for script. I've always had great scripting uh, from from Jeff Loeb to Eric Stevenson. No matter who I uh, choose, select, they're, they're they're always a great fit. Um, you know, right now I have Chad Bowers doing the exact same thing with me on Snake Eyes. It's it's so much fun uh, getting these guys. You know, I was looking over the X Force credits, and it, it, sometimes the credits that Marvel would give would be Balloon Stuffer, um, Dialoguer. You know, whatever. Frank Thierry was going to script over my grifter, and he has a great, great ear for dialogue and the snappy patter. And uh, and on Hawkman, I was giving a young writer who I had seen some promise named Mark Poulton the opportunity to script over my stories with Joe. So, here we go. We're off to the races. This is easy. Then the phone rings. It's a guy named Eddie Braganza. He is not my immediate editor, my immediate like senior editor is a guy named Mike Martz. Mike Martz and I did a bunch of work at Marvel together. I did an X-Force and Shatterstar 2 miniseries uh, in 2003, 2004 with him. Uh, Mike is really great guy. Nothing but praise for Mike. 
Uh, really well-tempered guy as far as being an editor. Somebody who I think is is a great fit with a guy like a Bob Harris, who was the editor-in-chief of the entire line at the time. Again, Dan DiDio is the all-important publisher who had convinced everybody, I know how to make this machine run like no one else. I'm irreplaceable. It was, it was a great position. It, it worked for him. The uh, the uh, But Eddie Berganza was not my immediate editor. And Eddie Berganza uh, would would uh, call and say, hey, Rob, I've been talking with Dan and we've been looking at these line of books. And is it possible that you could put Zealot in Grifter? And we want to we want to reintroduce Zealot, who they were, you know, teammates in the traditional Wildcats comic when Jim launched it in Image Comics. And and then he said, how about what would you think about putting Cheshire in Deathstroke? Now, Cheshire was another cool villain in the Teen Titans. Uh, always loved the name. Always loved the visual. And uh, they said, you know, what, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about, about, about getting two different female leads, you know, reuniting Grifter with Zealot, and then, and then tossing, you know, uh, Cheshire into, into Deathstroke? And I was like, cool. Like, at that point, I'm like, I just want to, you know get to do what I do. I've already got my big, broad storylines. If, if, if this makes people happy and this makes editorial happy and this is part of the gig is, is, uh, is you know, submitting to their requests, great, I'll do it. So I immediately did some new, uh, along with the, like, the character of Singe who is in uh, S-Y-N-G-E in Grifter, uh, uh, Xerxes, um, all the other different designs. I submitted all the different designs. I did a new design for Cheshire. I did an updated look for Zealot. I submitted them. So per Eddie Berganza's request, Cheshire is going, Cheshire, the Cheshire cat uh, made, made famous from Alice in Wonderland and then again made this deadly uh, uh, Asian assassin, uh, femme fatale in the Titans. So I'm, I'm, I'm easily incorporating both of them, builds out the story, uh, lo- love, love the concepts. So we are underway. We are drawing these books. Uh, uh, Zealot is not going to come into Grifter for several pages, maybe the first five pages. So the first five pages is just uh, Grifter going down the slopes, being being pursued by assassins. Very James Bond opening. That's, that's how I wanted to handle his opening. Um, so so there was not a chance for Scott Clark to draw Zealot yet. I had not gotten to the point where I was introducing uh, Cheshire into Deathstroke until the uh, end of the first issue of my Deathstroke. So, so neither of these had reached a point where I, there was any redraws uh, to do as yet. And then I get the phone call literally days later uh, as we are underway on these books, uh, several weeks, maybe a month after the, the, the request. Hey, Rob, we've had some story meetings and, and, and you know what? We don't want Zealot to be in Grifter anymore. We think that's too on the nose. Um, could you put Zealot in, in Deathstroke? And put Cheshire in in Grifter, and and I, I look you guys this this could not be more freaky deaky what I'm breaking down for you. So I go yeah that's that's fine that's funny I mean I did chuckle like that is wild and bizarre and these are these are requests that I'm taking from DC editorial and then implementing in in a way that's going to make them happy. They want to see these characters. This is their characters. They have a wide treasure trove of characters. It was understood during the new DC, the, the DC 52 that come on, man. We're 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 rolling in new new 
iterations, new versions of these very popular characters. And that was kind of the appeal. You wanted to see how this character looked at this character looked. But let's be honest. Zealot and Cheshire are like C-list characters. Uh, the, the books I've got are like lower level B and C level books. I was not handed the A level stuff, which is exactly how I preferred. I live in the C and the D list. I love, you can do more. You can be the guy that juices it up. I took over a D list comic with the New Mutants. I turned that badass around into an A plus, plat, a plus platinum level franchise. So, so I am completely thrilled you know, that, I, that I've got these characters to turn around. But within these characters, Hawkman is probably the strongest of the, of the bunch. Um, he's a B-list character, I believe, at this time. Uh, Deathstroke is a C and Grifter is a D. And I'm trying to get them all into the A up a grade. I'm trying to get Grifter to go from D to C, Deathstroke to go from C to B, and Hawkman to go from B to A. Okay, that, that's, that's on my agenda. I, 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 that's what I'm shooting for. Now, uh, the great thing is all the books got bumps uh, immediately. They took a nice, nice ad out. Rob Liefeld's coming, had my Deathstroke cover, you know, uh, did some promotion, but no variants, no extra bells and whistles. It was literally on the strength of the creative team. Deathstroke went up about 6,000 copies, which is hard to do without any bells and whistles. It's hard to turn that trajectory around. But uh, because I chose to do De Deathstroke and write and draw it, they decided... They told me they would be ending Hawk and Dove uh, if I if because had I chosen to draw Hawk and Dove and write Deathstroke, they would have both existed. But having chosen to also draw Deathstroke, it it was kind of the end of the road for Hawk and Dove, which is fine. I did my 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 new kind of story twenty years apart, and and it was great. But let's get back to Cheshire and Zealot because this is going to get just insane. It's the it's the start of what I call the unraveling. So now there is no Zealot in Grifter. It's Cheshire, this great, uh, you know, this, this fantastic Titans character from my youth, created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. I'm so excited. And she jumps into action, helps out Grifter, and takes out the Daemonites and really asserts herself as the person in the know and, like, uh, asserts authority over Grifter immediately, gets him to a safe house, and then brings Deathblow into the book alongside Grifter. And so we're building out this brand new force. Cheshire is green. Her um her her design has always been uh in, in this emerald green realm. So I wanted to keep her. She is still an Asian uh, of Asian heritage, Asian assassin. Um, and and the color of green and the and the and the I gave her the eye paint. Uh, on her eyes and, and on a color hold. I was very specific to Scott how I wanted it to look. He was great in depicting her. She is fantastic. Before I came on today, I did flip through these Grifter issues and, and they're they're great looking comics. Except if you're you're going, Rob, Cheshire's not in there. You're correct. Uh, the, the, this, this character with the emerald green costume and the Asian heritage and all of the Cheshire stuff is absolutely uh, running through that book, the name has been changed to Nico. Okay, um, so so Deathstroke is is going out. Zealot is is now been moved at the last minute 
from Grifter into Deathstroke. It seemed like a great fit because the fact that Zealot has an otherworldly origin with the Daemonites makes it that she's a great uh, uh, comrade in assisting Deathstroke as he looks to hunt down Lobo. Um, and and so, so, so we are off and running. We are off to the races. This is fun stuff. Zealot's going to join the fun uh, you know, over over the over the course of the Lobo hunt, I'm also um, reaching out and establishing uh, a, a group of characters that I always love called the Omega Men. It's really fun stuff. But Deathstroke is off to the printers, making the deadlines and having these books go out and come back is of the utmost important. It's like part of this is like these DC books are coming out. Deathstroke is away. I have proofread. Uh, uh, Grifter, you the, the make ready, the 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 mock copy in color, lettered. Uh, Frank knocked it out of the park. He uh, Grifter is off. It's off to the printer. These books generally would go out to the printer on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and they'd get printed that weekend, and then you know come into the stores uh, a couple weeks later. Now there's a term that we used during my time on X-Force and New Mutants and when Jim was at the X-Men and we definitely ran those deadlines to the bone to the point where they would say, these books are coming in wet. When you pick them up at the retailers, they'd say, oh man, those books came in wet. Internally at Marvel, we would talk about this. That was the phraseology. Now, having worked in a print shop in my teen years, that's because they're saying the ink isn't even dry yet, okay? Those books are so fresh from the printer. They came straight from the, the press into the box and into your hands, they were so behind. So it's like, you know, these books are coming in wet is is a term for books that were done, uh, very that, that, that were thrown together and, and assembled and off to the printer at the very last possible minute. Now, DC had built in an extra week for the incidents that I'm about to inform you of, which tells you that this was how the line was being run. And I am not alone in this. You would read about George Perez, my idol, George Perez, uh, Gail Simone, um, many others went public with how this was going down in this first year of the new 52. And it was insane. Uh, because what I'm what, what's, what's about to happen is I've signed off because they say, Rob, you want to proof this? You, you, you proof your book, Grifter 9. Thought it looked great. Some of the strongest Scott Clark I'd ever seen. The colors were great. The layouts were great. Um, it's the, the book I thought was a really good entry point, especially since they were basically advertising, like, come on, give these books a second shot with these number nines. Well, it's a Thursday morning and I get the call and this time there's no Dan DiDio. Um, even though I've, I've left out the part where I go to lunch with Dan DiDio, uh, early in the year, cause I got hired to do these books in late November, early December, going forward into uh, what would be, you know, 2012 was when these books would be coming out. The New 52 started in the fall of 2011. And I went out to lunch with Dan. Dan, you know, Morton Steakhouse, where he was clearly a regular. We talked over, again, all of the stuff that I was doing. And when the lunch was done, Dan said, I've got to go meet with the writer of Deathstroke and uh, tell him he's no longer doing it. I go, wait a second. I, I've been doing this book for the last two months and you haven't let the, the writer know that he's no longer doing it. And he's like, Nope, but he'll, 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 he'll find out in about 20 minutes. All right, take care. And I remember going, this guy, uh, th this is about the flexes, the power, 
the, the steakhouse, the familiarity with everybody there, walking right off the Burbank lot, right under the Morton Steakhouse adjacent, and wrapping up a meeting about books that I'm doing, and then telling me he's going to go basically give the, uh, 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 you know, the walking papers to the current writer of Deathstroke. And I've been operating for the last two, the, the ad's not out yet. The ad advertising me hasn't hit yet. Because again, these books are, are launching in the first week, first two weeks of May. So this is January. I'm just, I'm just shocked that, that, that this is how it's all going down. But uh, this call this morning that, that a couple days after Grifter 9 has been proofed, I get the call. It's Bob Harris, it's Eddie Berganza, and it's Mike Martz. And they're all three on the phone. And I said, hey, what's up? And Bob says, hey, Rob, how you doing? I've got Mike Martz. I've got Eddie Berganza. And uh, do you have a minute? I said, yeah, go ahead. What's up? He goes, we have a bit of a problem. And Bob is not talking in a in a way that invokes like there's a problem. He's actually trying not to laugh. Bob Harris is like, Rob, we have a we have a bit of a problem. Uh, let me see how do I uh, how do I how do I approach this? We, we we just came out of an editorial meeting, uh, an editorial meeting where, where everybody gets together with with uh, Dan. And Dan was looking over the make ready for Grifter number nine. I said, uh huh, and uh, and and Mike Martz is kind of giggling. Eddie is, is silent, um, and uh, and Bob goes, uh, Rob, uh, yeah, Dan uh, is is very upset that that we are using Cheshire in in, in, in Grifter, and it's a big problem, and uh, and uh, Bob, I'll try and imitate how Bob he goes, Rob, he uh, he he threw the comic across 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 the the, the table uh, into the wall. And he said, I told you not to fucking use Cheshire. This is, this is Dan DiDio. And, uh, and, and Bob is laughing. And I said, what, what, okay, you guys, what's going on here? I don't understand. He said, I, I, I told you not to use Cheshire. What is Cheshire doing in this comic? Okay. Well, I'm immediately, you know, as curious as the next guy. And I say, to Eddie Berganza, I said, Eddie, you asked me to put, Cheshire in the book. And he goes, I know, I, I, I know, I know. That's about as much as Eddie interacted. And, and, and Mike then interjects and, and says, Rob, here, here's the deal. Can, can you come up with another name for this character? I said, is there stuff that's going to have to be redrawn? Like Scott Clark has already drawn the next issue. And like Cheshire's a bit, I, I'm, I'm thrown because if you glance through, you know, Grifter number nine, she's a major character and on probably 15 pages of a 20-page comic book. So I'm like, oh, wait a second. I know how important it is for these books to make their dates. And Grifter comes out on a certain week and has every week since the new 52. And Bob's like, Rob, if, if we can just uh, get a new name in there, I think we'll, we'll, we'll take care of a lot of this. And I said, Are, is this happening? Like, I thought the book is at the printer. He goes, it is. We're going to send a new, we're going to upload new files. It, it has not gone to press. It's going to press tonight. But uh, if you could, and I said, and, and so, okay. Uh, I said, look, let me read through the book. See how many times we refer to her by her name. I said, are we going to have to recolor it? Like, and he's like, no time. We understand that we, we, we explained our position. And you guys, I, I've been in comics 24 years. Never has a book that's sitting at the printer 
been looked at by the publisher who then says, this character cannot be on these pages under any circumstances. And let's be honest. In, 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 I mean, this is Rob's observations, man. We do this honestly here. Why does it matter? What cosmic, cataclysmic reason was, was Cheshire so precious? I'll never know. I didn't get that answer. All I knew was I had to come up with a new name. And of course, my first thing is, oh, I'm going to call her Jade. And then my brain immediately said, no, they have a Jade. She's a Green Lantern, uh, uh, you know, connected character in Infinity Inc. So, you know, what are you going to do? So I said, okay, guys, I'll, I'll have something with you. And and, and then Bob goes, hey, Rob, if you, if you could, he's, he's literally like trying not to laugh. He goes, if, if you could just get it to us in like the next 90 minutes, that, that'd be great. I said, Bob, this really happened? And and Bob said, Rob, he, he loses his temper. He, 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 I, this is, Rob, I, I this is. Not the first time I've seen this, but it was uh, it was um, it was hard to watch. And Mike goes, "Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's it's crazy." And I said, "Really? What's up with Cheshire?" And and Eddie Branza once again says, "I don't know. I I I know. I, I just I don't know." I said, "Okay, so, boom. I am now going. What do I call her?" And then literally, I came up with the name Nico. N I K O is the best I could do with ninety minutes. Um, again, because you can't take her out of the book. Now remember, Cheshire was going into Deathstroke originally per Eddie Berganza's request that I use this character. I did not submit to use Cheshire. Yes, I have these emails. Yes, I have this correspondence. Uh, I, I did not, this is not a character I wanted to use. I was, you know, you know, facilitating a request of the publisher and the editorial division now, thank God that I didn't have to redo it in, in Deathstroke. Um, but it, I just was like, Scott can't redraw these. Uh, the colorist can't recolor them. Like, so again, they compromise. We're, we're now having this character that is obviously an upgrade of Cheshire, who is now going to be called Nico, because for some reason, this upset Dan DiDio and he hurled the comic across the room. And so, okay, Cheshire, hotspot, done, Nico. I've sent it in. We've adjusted the references to her, and Nico is no longer Cheshire, and the book can go to press. I cannot tell you how insane that is, given that this is the uh, th that the book was ready to go to press, and that the publisher weighed in in such a strong fashion with a character that I, I don't know if that character emerged again or how soon thereafter. I wasn't following all the books. But, you know, bullet dodged, but um, a random, weirdo, strange request. And we, you know, the letterer, you know, made the adjustments. They got new files. The book was off and we were off to the races. And that's about as far as that would get until we got to the zero issues, the origin issues that were going to be in September of that same year. I had really carefully, I was so excited by what Joe Bennett was doing. Again, there's nothing that Joe Bennett doesn't do to the absolute best of, of the expectation of what can be done in comics. Figure drawing, faces, expressions, uh, backgrounds, terrific storytelling. And, and again, I really queued it up to take, you know, give him double page spreads, give him splashy stuff, give him great action, give him great cliffhangers. The stuff that I knew would make Hawkman a compelling book. Recently, I have read compilations of Hawkman because Lord knows there's been a decade of Hawkman since I left and, and he keeps shifting gears and changing. But 
one of the there's there's dedicated like Hawkman sites, and they're like, you know, we 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 rank the Liefeld, Hawkman era, uh, you know, uh, higher than than you would expect. Well, thanks for that backhanded compliment. And but the truth of the matter is, those books kick all sorts of ass and deserve the recognition. We poured ourselves into those books, trying to make them the very best we possibly could. The Hawkman Zero uh, issue, the origin issue, was a tremendous, uh, a tremendous. Uh, just kind of negotiation to get there. I wanted a giant big space opera about two brothers. It was very much Ramses and Moses, the Ten Commandments, the story of Exodus, um, you know, one son usurping another, two brothers uh, who have distinctly different um, views of where their planet should go because now we're all in on the Thanagarian uh, aspect. And I had, again, made Nth Metal uh, into this you know, Nth Metal was already really had the allure and it was special. So I had nothing to do with creating Nth Metal, but making it something that is desired all over the galaxy and its special proprieties and especially his his Nth Metal armor that made Hawkman's armor. It, it is very much the Beskar of the Mandalorian. That, oh, we all want the Beskar. I mean, every, every week somebody's trying to jack the Mandalorian's Beskar. So, so this is... The, the story of the mines and the ore and, and the operations that were taken to, to create uh, the, this treasure trove of nth metal that would make Thanagar above everyone else. It was very hardcore sci-fi, and in the end, Kadar Hall is exiled. And, uh, you know, from the planet and, 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 uh, and, and screwed over by his brother, well, there was a brand new editor who I had never encountered before, who was assigned the Hawkman books. And it is now July. It's the July 4th weekend. My family and I are driving up to Big Bear Mountain. And if you live in South Southern California, you know there's a stretch of Big Bear where literally you are just going and you are winding as you hug that mountain around and around the circles and the turns get tighter and tighter and weaving. And it's crazy. I'm the driver of the car. And I've got, um, I keep looking at these emails horribly. I'm sorry. Um, the, 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 that I'm, that I'm receiving that need attention. Uh, I actually pull off the side of the road because I am getting so hot and heavy because, um, Joe Bennett is telling me that the editor of this Hawkman, not Mike Martz, not Eddie Berganza, not Bob Harris, this editor is contacting Joe Bennett and telling him to draw different scenes and different consequences that are in my Hawkman Zero plot. And I said, that this is not happening because Joe's like, I don't know what's happening. So I then tell the editor that he needs to knock it off. This got approved by the higher-ups. By I, I went to San Diego. We had a lunch. I met with Dan. I met with Bobby Chase. I met with Bob Harris. We got these zeros worked out and we were off to the races. And now this editor, who I've only worked with for about two weeks, is telling me that he is going to, he is, he's not even telling me, he's telling my artist to change the story without telling me. Here's the deal, guys. One thing you know that I live by is, is it fun? Is it fun? Is this comic book fun? And this was no fun. I am now uh, at a gas station on the side of Big Bear, uh, uh, getting out, get, getting emails to tell my editor to knock it off, and I'm copying the Dio and Bob Harris and saying, I don't know what's going on here. This was this was approved, and the entire trajectory of this 
is is uh, is 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 changing drastically the entire story that I wrote for Joe. With no, I mean, th- th- there's no further plans of how to build out what he's doing that 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 that, that are clear as to why he's doing it. This editor, I don't even know what this guy is. Long story short, Bob sides with me and says he shouldn't be doing that. Let me talk to him. Then uh, the guy tells Bob, okay, okay, I, I won't do it. And immediately contacts Joe Bennett and says, keep doing it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this editor is just like completely uh, not on the up and up or somebody's not being on the up and up. So I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm out. I'm out on Hawkman. That, that's ridiculous. And Bob, Bob goes, no, 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 no. Do not quit. Do not quit. I said, yeah, I, I, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. And, uh, and so, so, so then uh, they said, look, we, we, we've really told the editor to, to knock this off and to be more transparent. And Hawk and Dove, I mean, Hawkman Zero is going to continue on as we've discussed. And I said, okay. And I guess this guy just didn't realize that creative teams are really loyal to each other and they, 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 they communicate. And Joe Bennett then said, no, he's continue. He's continuing to tell me to do it the way he is instructing me to do it. So I finally said to Bob Harris, this guy is off this book or I am, I will not deal with this editor again. I've already told you, um, I, I, I'm leaving. You told me to stay. You told me this editor was not going to undermine me in this 48 hour period. He literally is just lying to me flat out in emails and otherwise, and then telling my penciler to draw something entirely different than what I instructed him to draw. And Bob said, okay, look, we're going to remove him as your editor. He, you, we've got another guy and we will remove him. And they told me the next day that there was another editor that was taking the book. And I asked if Joe Bennett had been contacted by this other editor. And he said he had, and that things were back on course. And Joe was going to illustrate the story that I gave him. You guys, this is insane. Like, was were my were my uh, emotions a little um, ramped up because it was the July Fourth weekend? Yes, it was ridiculous. These are September books. Joe Bennett is you know kicking ass, drawing this book, and we are getting interrupted on a holiday because an editor has decided that without consulting with me, he's going to completely tell my artist to draw a different story than the one that I've you know been paid for. That, that that's that's already in the works that my 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 penciler my my you know co-producer of this book it, it has already produced he's already turned in very frustrating very weird again at that point 24 years in the business never had that happen on x-force and new mutants and all this stuff generally that the stuff that i sent in they just went with it there was no um, separate corporate agendas there was no figuring it out there was no, look, we're going to nod yes to you while telling this guy something else. I had never encountered any of this. This was just a weird period. Now, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's one thing to say, hey, we're, we're thinking of going in another direction. Can you do this? I've already done that. I've already put Cheshire in Deathstroke and Zealot in Grifter until you told me to switch them. Put Zealot in Deathstroke and put Cheshire in Grifter. And then you told me that as the book was going to print, Cheshire could no longer be in Grifter under any circumstances. This character has to be renamed. And 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 <laughs> any references to any Cheshire Titan stuff removed, all of that going forward. Okay. So at, at that point, by the end of that summer, it was on Labor Day. Uh, it was now happening with an increasing uh, 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 regularity 
because they had called me up and asked me if I would uh, do a team up with Green Arrow. If Hawkman and Green Arrow could s switch over and if I would work with Anna Senti. And I always was a huge fan of Anna Senti. Sounds great. She's an ma amazing writer. Uh, loved her run on Daredevil with John Romita Jr. Loved her run uh, on Longshot with Art Adams. Super talented, capable ed um, editor and an amazing writer. And so I was happy to do this. But those stories and those parameters kept changing. And again, this is Dan DiDio saying, I want to do a Hawkman Green Arrow crossover where you both cross over and have the you know shared storyline. And so then he said, well, let's see what you know Anne has to say about this. And, and in the one story conference we had, nothing came of it. And then the deadline came down and Dan said, what do you have? And here's going back to the beginning when I first got offered to pitch. You find out along the way, you were one of three guys who was offered to pitch those books. The reason I'm even telling you about these stories is I guess my pitches won the day. I guess Lobo, you know, being the source of the hunt for Deathstroke was enough to, you know, win me the day and carry me over with Grifter and Hawkman. But at the time, I didn't know that there were multiple pitches because guys, I, I, I got three kids. I got a good marriage. I got a great wife. I invest in my family. Those hours when my kids were at school, basically nine to five, I, at that point, was pouring myself into these books. And so at the same time, I was wrapping up doing a book with Robert Kirkman called The Infinite. And I had just come off a year on the Deadpool core. I had done an entire uh, 12 of 14 issues of the Deadpool core in 2009 to 2010. I was hitting my marks. I was getting my stuff done. I was, um, you know, increasing... The body of work. My entire kind of awakening in the early 2000s was I really want to increase my body of work. I want to get more trades on the shelves, more hardcovers, more collections. That is what drives me and and, and working with cool people. But at some point you say enough's enough. Like I, I, I that there the changes are coming. Every day was a, a, a change. Change this character. Can you put Apollo and, uh, and, and Midnighter in Grifter? Sure. I'll be happy to do it. Oh man, they appear too early in the story. You know, push them back a little. The micromanaging was driving me crazy. Like, let the bunk, let the Bronco buck is a great uh, is a great sentiment. It's it's a great sentiment to uh, you know let people run. Now here here's here's, here's what you gotta understand. At the same time, a bunch of creators are rebooting my extreme lineup. A guy named Brandon Graham has come to me with this. Uh, very ambitious reboot of Profit that recognizes uh, not one iota the success that Profit had in his various incarnations, with whether it was myself, uh, Dan Panosian, or Stephen Platt. It's very ambitious, very different, very wild. Took it in a totally different direction. I mean, like literally wild. I highly recommend you guys check out that Brandon Graham uh, uh, Profit stuff. I mean, it, it owes more to Planet of the Apes and to uh, The Martian than it does, you know, uh, to to the profits that it existed. I wanted to let Brandon run. Over with my other uh, extreme books, a book called Glory by by Joe Keating, uh, it, it it was a completely different take on Glory. Uh, changed her, the, w the way she appeared physically to a more, uh, a much more plus size uh, uh, version of the character Glory. It gave her a different aspect, which which gave her this monstrous, 
kind of uh, rage that she didn't have in her earlier incantations with or, or interpretations with myself, Mike Diodato, whoever, whomever had had portrayed very successful versions of Glory. Uh, past versions of Youngblood were way different than what I had uh, planned for Youngblood. But you go with it. You let people run. You, you just you, you you give them a wide berth and you let them go. Uh, whether it was Joe Casey or Chad Bowers, people got eight to nine issues to just go do your own vision. You want to introduce this aspect? That's great. I, there are broad parameters, you know, that you set. And uh, for instance, like maybe one of the parameters is Wonder Woman always, always has to at some point have her origin tied to Paradise Island. Okay, like that's a parameter. You can't get rid of Paradise Island. Okay. Superman has to come from Krypton. There's just, you know, wide parameters. And then within that parameter, you let them run. And this DC stuff was, was it was being evaluated on a regular basis. And, and, and the stuff with the editor and the changing of Hawk, Hawkman Zero was so wild to me. Ultimately, I did, I think, about eight issues, eight to nine issues of Deathstroke, seven issues of Grifter, and I think seven or eight issues of Hawkman. It was great. I'm glad that I did them. The reason that I walked when I walked was having com- com- concluded, having completed uh, Deathstroke Zero, that gave me a nice one, two, three, four, five arc, uh, complete arc. The Lobo Hunt plus the soft reboot of his origin per, you know, blending him into the New 52, separating him as much from the Titans part of his origin because uh, they had taken the Titans in a different direction. It was a good place to just say, okay, I'm off to the next thing. Uh, Hawkman, I, I would have written forever uh, had it not gotten complicated and suddenly now this storyline needs to be put on the back, back burner because we need to uh, lift Green Arrow a little and we need to mutually get these books you know, to be exciting. And uh, the, the bottom line, as I said, is the New 52 was about maintaining market share and being as competitive with Marvel as possible. A, an admirable goal. An admirable goal. But DC could have achieved that in different ways. Because one of the things we haven't discussed is, and we didn't bring up in the last session, was that Marvel has been the number one company for 95% of the time over the last decade. They don't always have the top books. DC can is very successful with, with, with putting with stacking the top of the charts, maybe getting three out of the top five on occasion. But then from the bottom down, like for right now in the world that we live in, there is a group of retailers in the Southern California area that all buy through one master account. And then because some of these guys don't want anything but the Batman comics, which is why I said they should be renamed Batman comics. They're like, I can't sell... These other books, I've heard Aquaman and Green Lantern and Flash. I can't sell these other books. I just want the Batman product. That's what my fans want. That's what my customers want. That's what my clientele orders. That's all I need. So so there are five or six retailers ordering through one retailer. And that one retailer orders the overflow of Batman books, which he distributes to the rest of the guys. And then he orders... You know, his allotment of Titans and they don't get any Titans because they don't want any Titans. So it's it's a system with which, you know, this new distribution chain that they've set up, and maybe it was that way when they were still with Diamond, 
but they are all kind of sharing in the amount of books that they want to carry, and they're definitely not carrying a full line of DC Comics, whereas the Marvel Comics, as we've discussed prior, the families are strong. And and the families are strong because Marvel, maybe they don't give you as much, uh, you know, of a leash to go out on, uh, but 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 it's it's more seemingly than what DC was giving people in the '52. And 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 what I'm saying about Marvel being number one, Marvel gets there through adding extra trades, extra hardcovers, extra incentives. If you want to be number one, scheme it differently. If you want to be number one, don't limit to the '52. Okay. Make it 52 plus X amount of trades, X amount of this, uh, a separate wing of, you know, comics and titles. I mean, it was such a very weird and stringent uh, uh, outline. And and again, um, when the 52 started falling off and people started leaving in mass, look, it was never a question of whether they were going to replace those people. There's always people to take your job in comics, just like there's always somebody to take your job, you know, at the, at, at, at the, at the Gap or at the PacSun or you know, at the Ann Taylor, at the at the at the at the department store, at the Best Buy, there's always somebody. There's always somebody to take your job. Okay, no different. There's always a, a writer that's going to step into the writer room and and write new episodes of of Walking Dead or or what have you. But at this point, the New Fifty Two, as ambitious as it was, it was set up to launch high, and and dominate and be number one. And it quickly, like I said, after the third month was no longer doing that. Marvel took their best shot, reasserted themselves, and Marvel are wicked planners. They are great at planning and strategizing, and because they have a wider berth of families, they can go. April is our all-Spider-Man-centric month. May is our all-Venom-centric month. June, we're going to kick the X-Men into high gear. July, we've got a giant Avengers cosmic event, and... Uh, you know, they, they just can keep rolling, 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 rolling uh, their, their franchises. And, and DC generally relies on a heavy dose of Batman. Black Label Batman, uh, Detective Comics, Batman, Dark Knight. Uh, just, you know, it's it's a lot. And, and, and you go, well, so what? Especially those, those of you out there who want to binge it and want as much Batman as possible. It's not a criticism. It's an observation. Hence, observation. Hence... The fact that uh, that Batman comics, on average, do better than everything. So if the, if that's the case, then you do stack the deck. We mentioned last time when Jimmy and I were talking about the Batman aspect of the catalog in the 52 was uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman and Robin, Batman, Detective Comics, Red Hood and the Outlaws, Harley Quinn, okay? Uh, the Suicide Squad had Batman-centric Harley Quinn characters. Harley Quinn comes from Batman. That makes it a Batman extension. You got Robin. You got Nightwing. You got the Teen Titans. You got the Justice League. You got Batman and Superman. You got Brave and the Bold. You got World's Finest. You got Catwoman. You got Batwoman. You got Bat... Uh, well, we, we talked about it. Not Batmite. It was um, Batwing, which was the um, Batman in Africa. So so and, and I still didn't cover them all. I still didn't cover them all. But that gets you to 18 to 20 titles a month with Batman, and that was your base with which to keep you as competitive as possible. And and if they uh, needed to plug something else, it was generally coming with some sort of Batman extension. At one point, just to understand this, they had a uh, Western comic. I don't. I, I I I'm I'm forgetting. This is in the '52, but maybe it's Jonah Hex, but maybe it's 
all-star western, but one of them suddenly revealed that the town was Gotham in the Wild Wild West. So now you're at Gotham in the Wild Wild West. Now you've got a cowboy book that has ties to the future of Batman because the uh, western town that the entire book has taken place in is Gotham. So again, these are deep, deep, deep ties. It's why Batman is the most popular character in the entire world. He is uh, He has the ability to have this kind of exploitation of his brand and still come out on the other end of it doing great. Right now, the literally some of the best books in the business and certainly the best books that DC is, is, is producing are Batman-centric. There is the Batman book um, by Tinian and Jimenez. There is Death Metal, and there is The Three Jokers that just wrapped up. And uh, th- these books are some of the best in the business. They're produced by the top people, um, and, 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 and they are giving the biggest yield and the biggest dividends, and that's what's keeping retailers invested in them. But again, the reports from the front line are that less and less of the larger family is being carried because they don't need it. Now, again, Marvel moves the wealth around and is built up Again, outside of Spider-Man, they built up a successful Venom family. And then the Avengers family, which consists of Cap and Thor and Iron Man and, let's say, Black Widow. Then, obviously, you've got a giant breadth of X-Men comics. You've got their cosmic line, okay, which is anything from Guardians of the Galaxy to Silver Surfer to Nova to now Cosmic Ghost Rider. Again, the families matter. The thing about Batman is, and this is my the strongest example, is... One of my favorite comics right before the New 52 was launching was a book that was written by Robert Kirkman and co-created by Robert Kirkman and Todd McFarlane called The Haunt. And The Haunt was kind of Robert and Todd's symbiote book. Look, whatever the origins, the dead brother, the whatever, it's sketchy to me. I remember the visuals. Ryan Otley started it uh, with them and then it was passed to Greg Capullo. And like the last three to four issues were by Greg Capullo. And it's Greg Capullo kind of doing a Venom carnage character. Because Haunt had like the 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 the, the stuff that came off of him and, and had like the 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 symbiotic kind of juice. Like it was visual the visual representation of the two were not so far apart of, of a Venom and a Haunt. But Haunt was selling about 12,000 copies a month. And it was literally, at that time, my favorite comic. I thought Greg was kicking all sorts of ass with his layouts. I think Greg was laying out the book from day one, and Ryan was penciling over that. And uh, and now Ryan, uh, Greg was doing the full art chores. And I thought Haunt was the best stuff I'd seen out of Greg in over 15 years. It was inspired. It was fun. The gestures, the storytelling. But it was only selling about 15,000 a month. They called him. They said, would you come over and do Batman? He said, great. Batman's top book. Batman rises to the top and dominates the family of top sellers. So this is a testament to Batman, as good as Greg Capullo is, um, you know, as opposed to a testament to the artist. It is a testament to the character. When Greg took a sabbatical and went off and did Reborn, which is fantastic. I think it's coming on Netflix. You're going to dig it. I think Sandra Bullock is producing it. My, my buddy Mark Miller wrote it, conceived it uh, with Grant. I mean, um, uh, with with <laughs> with Greg, Greg Capullo. They both did it together. It didn't do Batman numbers. Because Batman, we, we said it last time. Jimmy said it. My mom could do Batman. My mom literally could write a Batman story and it would be a top seller. Because people are, you know, they are wired to go for Batman. 
first, foremost, and always. I love the lesser characters. If you told me that I had a year where I got to draw Commandy, Omac, the Forever People, you know, uh, Steve Ditko's um, uh, The Creeper, and 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 the and the and Shade the Changing Man, I'd be in Hog Heaven. I would be in Hog Heaven. I love the lesser known characters. It seems like the possibilities with them are endless. But the big characters, and there's a there's a there's a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, who used to only chase the top books. He only did the top books because he's like, well, that's where the acclaim is. That's where the notice is. And he never. I I said to him once, why don't you do one of these lesser books and add the juice to that? He's like, no, no, no. Comics are like movies. You got to open at the top. You've always got to be in the top five. He gave me this whole thing about you've got to be in the top five at all times to matter. Of which I'm like, you're telling the wrong guy. I took over a book that featured Boom Boom, Richter, Skids, Rusty. I mean, this almost sounds like a poopy diaper, right? I mean, Rusty, Skids, Boom Boom, and Richter. Uh, Honestly, that's the book I took over. The, the, The poopy diaper gang. Um, also known as the New Mutants, also known as horribly outdated, dressing in, in fashion that was way behind the times, not acting or speaking as teenagers would, and in, injected it with uh, excitement. And as you know, and I'm going to upload this clip, I'm going to get Richard Richard Anderson saying, it's a, it's a macho show. We, we, were, we were a macho show. A macho show. Okay, I got, I got the macho-ness. And, 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 and Cable of 1989, it's different now. Everything is of a time. Everything is of a time. Don't take that out of context. Everything is of a time. At that time, the macho stuff was what was working. It was working at the box office. It was working at, at, on TV. Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Von Damme, you know, these guys uh, ruled the roost. Bruce Willis. Um, so so I, just, I just put more of that in New Mutants, turned it around, made an X-Force, put it on the top, and lived happily ever after. So I don't always chase the top. I never... You know, I don't dream of Spider-Man, uh, but I know there are people who do, and, and more power to you. That's awesome. But without the guys who who love the little characters, who love the grifters, who I didn't love, but I learned to love, or or Deathstroke or Hawkman, you know, then all you are is a bunch of Batmans. I mean, I, I was pissed that I wasn't getting any more haunt out of Greg, and and I think I think when he left, they canceled the book. But you know, um, literally, if you can. Some of, you, some of you guys tell me that you check out the stuff that I recommend. Go grab those issues of Haunt. They're great. There are some fantastic Greg Capullo. Um, but the minute you swapped it out with a bat signal, it was selling a couple hundred thousand units as opposed to the 15,000 units. So that's the business. And and too much of anything is too much of a good thing. Okay? And, and, and again, DC is ripe with awesome, awesome material. But that 52 era was insane. And I was not the only one who was being asked to make changes routinely. And could you add this character? Oh, we're sorry. We can't have you had this character anymore. Oh, we're sorry. The boss just threw the comic across the table in a rage, cursed, spit, and walked out and said, I better not hold the final edition of this comic with this character in it. And again, Bob Harris, when he was giggling to me, it's because Bob had seen it all. Bob also had been in the, in the business more than me at that point, 28, 29 years, and was just getting a kick and then told me, Rob, he, he, he kind of has these tantrums. And, uh, you know, when I finally let everybody know that I was leaving D.C. that Labor Day weekend, it was a relief. It was an interesting exercise. Um, I don't believe they learned the lessons 
what I believe is that Dan DiDio calmed himself down for a while, learned that this was a big, big raging problem when the Gail Simones and the George Perez's and the Rob Liefeld are all speaking the same language and all on the same page. Uh, it traveled and 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 the, 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 they had to t tone it down, calm it down, find some consistency. Weirdly enough, Lobo was then introduced about nine months later after I did the first Lobo in the 52. If you guys remember, they made him a skinny emo kid. Like literally, like 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 the classic. And oh, when I did introduce Lobo, I, I need to tell you, they, they told me they didn't want to have any of the classic um, um, tropes from the Beasley uh, Giffen era, which is like, oh, so you don't want me to take anything from the most popular iteration of this character. I, I could have his basic look, but... Uh, not the flying motorcycle. I put him on a motorcycle on the road as an homage. And later, we, we, we were, I won the war that we would find his bike in lockdown. But it's like there were certain things I was I was asked not to indulge in. And so then later they do this emo Lobo. And again, the messaging is crazy. And if that and and if it was supposed to be some sort of weird like message towards me, like erasing my Lobo, I didn't take it that way. Once it's in print. It lives forever, okay? It. <laughs> I should know that better than anybody. You guys, DC's crazy. It's crazy times. Publishing's crazy. The pandemic's crazy. The characters aren't going to, aren't going to go away. But man, they could use a little more TLC. They could use a little more creativity. There's a lot of talented guys at that company who should be doing less covers and more interiors and getting out there and selling this stuff. Because I'm going to be honest with you. To wrap this up, the last six months, seven months, I've been doing a childhood favorite of mine called G.I. Joe. Snake Eyes is one of the key characters. And I've used a bunch of G.I. Joe characters over the years. And that's Has those are Hasbro's characters. They are I, I have to submit to Hasbro. And I've submitted a lot of stuff. Everything I've submitted has been approved. Within the same day, no looking back, no changes. G.I. Joe is a giant global brand. Toys, cartoons, movies, games, all of it. It is the equivalent to anything in the Marvel and DC uh, library in terms of, at this point, historic legacy, multiple generation of fans. And so I, I, I'm, I'm still, when I'm doing G.I. Joe, I'm, I'm doing work for Hasbro's character. I need to get their approval on everything. And I do, and IDW helps facilitate that. And, and over the last, I, I, I've got one more issue to do. And five issues have been fantastic. The, the ride of a lifetime, such a great time. No one ever made these radical weird changes on C and D list characters and threw any comics across the room. It's just easy. Prior to that, I did Major X. I did Deadpool Bad Blood for Marvel. Just the easiest... Uh, uh, you know, jobs, the easiest assignments, uh, everything gets approved at the outset and there are no changes. What happened during the 52 and that micromanaging nature did not happen to me again. Uh, it won't happen to me again. I, I, I learned my lesson. Like, like there's one thing to want to fill the shelves with trades and, 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 and to build on your body of work, but eventually you got to say, no, this is, this is not okay. I'm not going to do this. So, um, crazy times, Probably left some good stuff out. We'll re we'll circle around. DC's got a great catalog of characters. Of that, there is no doubt. But if all you're doing is Batman, you're not going to do Batman better uh, than, than you know than than the box office Batman's 
that people identify more so than the comic book Batmans. Christopher Nolan is most people's favorite Batman. Okay? Or maybe now it's Zack Snyder's. And man, we'll get into the whole Zack Snyder, Snyder cut. That that was kind of around the same time where I think like the, whatever poison was going on at DC was infecting the upper echelons of the Warner Brothers offices. And and, and they were just all going nuts um, in, in terms of winning this, this race with, with, with Marvel Comics. But they, they just couldn't do it. They didn't have the horses. They didn't have... They didn't have the vision. They didn't have the singular vision. And, and so they kept... Um, they got in the way of a guy who had a singular vision, like Zack Snyder, who just had done so many great great movie projects. I mean, 300, Dawn of the Dead, Watchmen. These are great movies. I love them. I love Man of Steel. And, and, and again, it's just symptomatic of all of the breakdowns and the craziness that was going on. Um, but but you, you sit there and you go... Uh, you know, you, you, the, 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 this this time we look back and we see how um, they, they favored one character above all the others to keep the doors open in their mind rather than risking and saying, we're going to commit to a year of this character. We're going to throw the best talent on it and we're going to make sure that this new character flies, that Batman will take care of itself. Christopher Nolan's Batman is always going to be the biggest of the Batman and, and, and now we've got, you know, the new Matt Reeves Batman, which is going to take a new generation. You know, my my oldest son loved Dark Knight and loved Dark Knight Rises. He was 8 and 12, and they hit him in a very, you know, resonant way. But my younger kids, uh, so, so now they're 20, they're 18, and they're 16. The 18 and the 16-year-old, Matt Reeves, they're already Googling Robert Pattinson images. That will be the Batman of the next, you know, period maybe three years, maybe five years. We thought Ben Affleck was going to be, but he caught up in that, got caught up in that Warner Brothers versus Zack Snyder insanity. There are names we didn't mention, but I'm going to tell you, Dan DiDio won a lot of shutdowns, a, a lot of showdowns. He won a lot of showdowns over the course of his uh, uh, reign as publisher, but he, because he made sure that he was the guy that had the secret ingredients that only he could run the machine and, 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 and this luxury vehicle and race it on the track the way he could. And then one day, some new sheriffs came into town and said, we're not impressed with that anymore. We don't buy that. That's not good enough. There's the door. Uh, unfortunately, it was in the in, in, it, right before a pandemic that saw everything spiral, spiral. And what's been going on at DC, whatever the case, is a bunch of upper echelon people fighting to hang on to their jobs and their salaries and other people being sacrificed as a result. And, uh, but you can't say that there haven't been some great comics that have come out, come out of it because the cream always rises. Tinian and Jimenez were the right guys at the right time. They're hungry. They want to prove something. They're doing great work and we're all the better for it. This is obviously a very complicated topic. I hope you enjoyed my view of the insanity that was the new 52. I shared with you my true 52. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day whenever you're catching this um on social media please interact with me shout out to me talk to me at twi- on twitter i am at robert liefeld on instagram i am at rob liefeld so i wish i was the same on both but i'm not twitter is at robert liefeld um instagram is at rob liefeld i have the blue check so that you're not talking to an imposter i'm all over social media i'm all over facebook please say hi uh thank you once again for listening and for following this journey. 
Um, you know that all I want is for you to take care of yourself. Please stay safe and we will talk again real soon. Thank you.